Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at Earsports.com, part of the 24-7 Sports Network. I am Mike Cazaza here this morning with Chris Anderson, ready to check the mail. Chris, tradition, um, this is three weeks in a row, we've, or not even three weeks, I guess, three games in a row, we remembered. So that's good. Uh, and we have a lot of questions about, I think, a team that we feel we collectively, not you and I, but feel a little bit more sure about as far as identities go, strengths where you have to improve and, and maybe who or what they follow. It's 2020. It's the big 12. This seems like a team that's defense is going to, to run things. Uh, it, it might be the, the rabbit on the racetrack, so to speak, as far as the defense goes, as fast as the defense develops, it's going to bring the offense with it or else. Um, number one in yards per game. And I think maybe more importantly, yards per play, all the metrics that you've written about, back up that this is probably a pretty good unit four games into the season now and again three of these are big 12 opponents everybody's kind of playing on a, a somewhat level playing field because of preseason preparations i don't want to put any asterisk on this i think it's kind of earned and deserved if you've watched the games you probably figure that's one of the better defenses in the country especially if you watch some other games where you're putting up video game numbers sometimes in conferences or against teams that are renowned for their defense. I think this is more legitimate than people want to give it credit for. Yeah, I think, you know, put that story up about all the stats. There's just top 10 in everything, passing defense, rushing defense, scoring defense, total defense, sacks, every, like, every metric uh, points to West Virginia's defense being one of the best in the country. And um, as fans are want to do, um, some like to poke holes in that. Uh, I, I I noted that, hey, you want to come with, yeah, but look at the offenses. Okay, Kansas, uh, Eastern Kentucky, a Baylor team that actually should be pretty good. Uh, so I give a lot of credit to West Virginia on that. Oklahoma hey, State squad, that's good. Your boy, I, Charlie Brewer, too. Yeah, the best quarterback in the Big 12. I mean, they've already played the best quarterback in the Big 12, uh, the future best quarterback in the Big 12, and uh, Illingworth out in – Oklahoma State, uh, but it's I get that you know they haven't played Oklahoma, they haven't played Texas, uh, but that's that's not exactly the worst uh, stretch of offensive teams I've ever seen. And like you said, use your use your eyes. <laughs> Look at this defense; it's legit. And I I hadn't even looked at the stats until the end of that Kansas game. And I started looking at him when we were doing our post game podcast and, and it was, it was striking the numbers because oftentimes you see things and you think things, and then maybe the numbers don't back them up or, uh, but it seems legit. And I think it's, it's hard to find too many faults with this defense. I just don't find many. Um, do you, I, I, I well, here, we'll get maybe, into one. We'll yeah, into I was one. gonna say we're gonna get to one because I think when we got our mailbag, we got all these questions, and we have just questions about the offense, the offense, the receivers, the offensive line, the quarterback, everything. And then there's one question about the defense that really caught our eye. Uh, it and we'll we'll kick off the the, the Q and A here. It's from Lighten L Y P N. Uh, part of his his question question was i don't like the lack of substitutions on d when we have some quality depth your thoughts on that question mark mike your thoughts on that i'm concerned about that just because there's five games and five saturdays and they've revved those guys up a lot already initially i wasn't worried because one low snap counts and two week off before oklahoma state week off after baylor you're gonna play those back-to-back games listen concentrate the snaps and the guys that you need to win you luckily didn't have a ton of snaps in those games. Neither was played in a very high tempo. Um, you know, Oklahoma State slowed down as their quarterback. Baylor um, mixed it up. But I'm okay with that because you had a break before and a break after. You don't have that luxury now. Um, but Kansas didn't do anything that made you get into exotic packages. You know, nickel and dime stuff, which would bring in, you know, an extra safety, a Jake Long, a Noah Guzman, or an extra linebacker sometimes, like an extra low. Just didn't do it. Didn't need it. So I think that's one of the things that maybe at the end of the day, the coaches sit down and go, oh, wow, weird how that happened. And you just move on. And then the next time that you play a team that is going to spread it out and move it around, i.e. Texas Tech, those guys better be ready. It's not so much the coach's fault. 
as the games fall. So that's one thing too. And then again, I really do think in those those middle two games that we just talked about, that was kind of like a way to accelerate the development of the guys who maybe didn't get the practice time. I, I mentioned this in our last podcast, I think, but um, if you didn't have a lot of preseason stuff, especially when it comes to, comes to like tackling and speed of the game, I'm okay with letting those guys, quote-unquote, practice, get those reps, recoup that action on the field. That means giving them, you know, five, eight, ten more snaps a game back-to-back weeks. I'm all right with that. Um, I think it's a bigger issue right now than it is then, and I think you're going to see reserves there, probably at Texas Tech. But let me ask you this. Defensive line, you want reserves, for sure. Right. The snaps there are, are pretty good. Mostly Mesodor backing up. Quay Mays comes in, and then you get a little bit of Jalen Thornton. They don't have – it doesn't make any sense to play nine or ten offensive line. And I know we get enamored with that idea from Jordan Leslie. That was last year's defensive line. This year's defensive line has four really good players. I want them on the field as much as I can. Um, I don't want to give, like, Quay Mays, Jordan Jefferson, Jalen Thornton a chance to grow and, and get their feet wet at the expense of my two – I don't know – First team, second team, all conference players, my all honorable mention, maybe my all rookie. I mean, I have four award winning, you know, designation defensive linemen. I think we can agree on that, right? Pooler, right. Stills, Stills, Mesador. I, I want them on the field as much as I can. And beyond that, band that's working is going to get better. I want Fields and Stanley on the field as much as possible. I like X Ray Low, but I think he's similar to Sinkfield. Just do what, you're, do what you're asked to do and be really good at it. I don't want the guy in front of you off the field a whole bunch. Um, quarterback's a concern, but I'm not discouraged by what I've seen from Fortune and Miller. I don't know what I have behind them, but I know what I have with those two. Can they, again, can they have the RPMs for five straight weeks? I don't know. They're going to get pushed and tested a bunch. And then safety, I'm just surprised, but I don't have an issue with – there's no reason to pull a die and, and Mahone off the field. Jake Long played good. Noah Guzman's played good, but – didn't need them. And again, who are you taking off the field? So where are we, where are we getting backups? Who are we putting on the field in this sense? So I was thinking the same thing. My first thought was cornerback. And because typically you, you, you know, you have that nickel cornerback when you got to go into those, those nickel or dime defenses and you need that third corner. But I think, and it seems the coaches think because they've been going this route that they're just fine keeping a die out there or a Tyke Smith and treating them as basically the third corner uh, instead of going to an actual third corner. And it works because both of those guys uh, are extremely good in pass coverage. I mean, a die's already made multiple interceptions. Tyke Smith is all over the place. So I think that can work, obviously. But the, the depth concern for cornerback is still if hey, what if one of these guys gets hobbled? Uh, like, not not full, I mean, full on hurt, you're in disaster area. But mm-hmm. uh, even hobbled in, in a few plays. Like, I mean, I mean, Jackie Matthews is the third cornerback right now, and he is averaging seven snaps. He, he, he only played in three of the four games and is averaging seven snaps still. Like, it, they are literally not going to any other cornerbacks in any meaningful snaps so far this year. It is the two- and done. Here's a here's a stat for you. Um, I'm looking at the Pro Football Focus stat counts. Right, mm-hmm. Kansas's receivers. Um, their right wide receivers played 64 snaps. Their left wide receivers played 58. So you're looking somewhere in between there, like 60 snaps with two wide receivers. Right. Yeah. Slot receivers. I'm gonna guess. For Kansas. Yeah. Mm, 25. 35. 35. So about half of the snaps, they had three receivers and, and then even fewer on the, on the field for four receivers. Right. So yeah. you can get by in your traditional package there, too. Their tight ends are on the field, uh, 35 snaps, too. So you're not worried about it. Um, you're just you can play traditional. And again, their defense, their 11 is really good right now, too. I don't have an issue with that. I'm um, going to need them later, I'm sure. And you're going to have to have, I think, probably in the area of like five to seven guys that you can rely on in a game. I don't think you need 11 backups. You can play 18, 19 and be successful, I think, but you better start doing it soon. Switching to, well, let's go to, no, no. let's go to, uh, let, me, let me pause. Switch. Yeah, let me pause. Cause I wanted to get one of this one in the intro here. And it's, it kind of goes off of a question that was asked. Number one right now, the expectation is that it's not going to finish number one. If it is great. If it's not, oh, total defense, how, yeah. how far away do you go? How good can the defense be? This is why I find what we're seeing encouraging. I had a theory earlier in the season. 
you remember this because it was so good. <laughs> Defenses were going to be ahead later in the year because offenses were going to have understandable um, evolution, improvement, development issues. Just because it, it was hard in the preseason, you're going to struggle. You're going to spend more time getting things right and less time putting more stuff in. So small number of quote-unquote things you do, rep them, rep them, rep them, get good at it. And as the season goes along, you're pulling out. You're not putting in. And then as you get late in the season, defenses are going to get an eye on what you're doing and say, all right, we've seen this the last four weeks. We haven't seen these two or three things. This is new. Let's see if it continues. But the package is going to get smaller and smaller, and you're going to be able to key in on it easier and easier. And if you're a really good defense, just being able to play sound in a base against stuff that you expect is going to be a key. Who are the really good offenses on West Virginia's schedule? That's the back end. And if it's going to be able to identify what Texas and Oklahoma and Iowa State in particular do, if this defense continues to evolve at the, at the pace we're seeing, I think it's a really good harbinger of things to come. I don't disagree with you. And I think, you know, uh, I, I should know this, but we're, Texas Tech, you know, traditionally a good offense. Uh, I see them still top 25 in yards per game, but they, if you've watched them play, their offense isn't very good this year. Um, I thought Alan Bowman was was legit. I mean, we've seen him do well. I thought, you know, he just was a little bit injury prone, maybe made a few mistakes, but that tends to happen when you throw the ball 50 times a game. Um, but he's just been replaced. It, not not no injuries, just replaced. And I'm curious to see how that offense comes out looking against West Virginia uh, next weekend because it, it, it that could be the first. I don't want to say first true test because I, I, you know, Oklahoma State even with the quarterback change still has a ton of talent, ton of talent, and West Virginia held up just fine. Baylor has some talent. Uh, as much as Charlie Brewer struggled, I think that was because of West Virginia, not because Charlie Brewer sucks. I think it's because West Virginia played well, and they and he has some talent around him too. A couple good wide receivers and a couple good running backs. So, but Texas Tech could be the very first. Uh, real kind of slinging around and let's see what happens offense they face what's interesting there is they went to the quarterback who they had at utah state yeah um so i think you can turn back the clock a little bit if you want to see he didn't play very much but if you want to see what they're going to do it's probably stuff he ran in practice for years it's what the coaches are comfortable with um and they have talent they got really good running back they have good receivers two weeks to roll and get your backup ready that's it's more dangerous i think than people recognize um Kind of related to defense, we had a question on time of possession from WVU Oda. It says, we've hovered around the 50% mark all season, a minute or two below or above. Does this continue against the better offenses or worse defenses on the back half of the schedule? I feel like this is a silent but major factor in the success of our defense this year. They played great last year until the end of games. I haven't looked at the stats from last year, but memory tells me they were on the field 35 to 40 minutes per game. I'll, I'll look up how often they were on the field last year. But, Mike, what are your initial thoughts? Oh, I know. They were 32 minutes. No, no. Um, they were – let me think here. I had this written down somewhere. The other team was 32 minutes. They were 28 minutes last year. Uh-huh. Um, which is not – I mean, that's 28 minutes that the, they had the ball. So the other team was on the field for 32. So, um, not great. I want to say that that was, like, one of those stats that was the bottom 100 for them. There was a number from yep. last year. 100 and, uh, 101st out of 130 yep. teams. And 28-21. So, yeah, their defense is on the field for 32 minutes a game last year. Not good. I don't know what to do with, with time of possession as a stat, especially now. It used to be largely irrelevant in the Big 12 because you played so fast. And if you got four play scoring drives, well, unless you're running the clock on all those plays, you're not going to have a lot of possession. So there were times that really good offenses were really poor in time of possession. I think we're seeing – everything come around a little bit there are some pretty um, determined deliberate offenses in the conference now because i don't think any one of these offenses is so explosive that it can play really fast we've watched these games and there are one or two times a game where a team tries to go fast and either commits a penalty or has a walking assignment mistake or can't time with the play and it just seems like it's smarter to take your foot off the gas a little bit and play slow but play smart Smart's better than than slow, I think, as far as the definition. And you don't make a mistake, and you move the ball forward. Or you don't move the ball forward, but you don't put the ball in jeopardy. You don't move backwards on a penalty. You don't have a TFL or anything like that. So that's probably like where we are right now. So I kind of think that it's okay to think about time possession. Let's even 
centralizing more with West Virginia. Far better running the ball than passing the ball, and that takes more time. You don't, you're not incomplete pass, incomplete pass. You're run, run, and the ball stays in bounds and the clock keeps moving, and that's good. You freshen up your defense, and then your defense comes on the field and is getting off the field. 23 for 29 on third down in the last two games, forcing a lot of third and longs. Their third down defense is pretty good. Think about it right about this week. Um, if you can get out the field and you get your offense back, the ball, I don't know, let's say two extra times a half, just on a three and out or a turnover or something like that, you're doing that three, four times a game. If, even if you have a two-minute possession, a three and out, a three-minute possession where you get one first down, if you're doing that two or three times a game, you're getting six to nine extra minutes of possession. That stuff adds up, too. So I think it's a hard stat to define and to qualify. It means one thing for one team and one thing for another. I do think it's valuable for West Virginia. And if they flip it around and they had the ball for 32 or 33 minutes, as opposed to 28, 27, that is probably extremely promising for them going forward. I don't discount that at all. I think it's something to keep an eye on it because it means that they're playing on offense is working and their defense is continually getting the ball back. Yeah, this is very much a factor for me with this, but for different reasons than typically, like, you noted, like, Hey, you know, guys going fast time of possession might be off. I think in those early years of, of the Dana Holgerson offense, West Virginia ranked near the bottom of the time of possession, but they were winning because they were scoring a lot and they were scoring fast. Uh, so, so it wasn't a big deal. Now it's the reason that the time of possession is flipping is usually the time of possession when it's it's 32-28 like that, like 32 for the opposing team. It's because either your defense can't get off the field and your offense can't stay on the field. In this instance, it's almost entirely the offense just can't stay on the field. They can't sustain drives. They're turning it over. They're bumbling. They're fumbling. They're stumbling their way into just giving the ball back to the opposing teams. And that's when you can kind of notice it. That's when it it, it, it correlates to the score. Uh, just in this Kansas game alone, uh, in the first quarter, Kansas had the ball for over eight minutes, and they scored 10 points. And that, that's including that drive by West Virginia to score just before the end of the quarter. In the second quarter, when West Virginia just completely dominated and the game was basically over, even though it was the first quarter and or first half in 17-10, West Virginia had the ball for almost 10 minutes in that second quarter, nine minutes and 50 seconds. So I think uh, it's... It's indicative. It, it's it holds a special place it, it, for me to watch just because of my concerns about this offense. Here's your stat. Yeah, fifty-four third downs for the defense. Eight have required seven to nine yards. Twenty-eight mm. have required ten or more. Mm. Wow. So thirty-two out of fifty-four is seven or more yards. You're going to win a lot of. You're going to win a lot of drives and. and by extension games that way if you keep that going okay well um let's see before we, we, there are a ton of questions about offense obviously we're, we're not going to answer them all on the podcast uh, again we'll, we'll have the mailbag overflow afterwards um we're going to get to some offensive questions first but before we get there one on special teams that we thought was interesting um where was that where did that go there you go. From WVU Drummer 2. Are the short fading kickoffs a scheme to get a quote-unquote better result than a touchback or a physical inability to kick the ball out of the end zone? Having watched Staley in high school and with legs supposedly having an even bigger leg, I can't imagine it's the latter. Mike? The, the answer to this question is directly in proportion to what you think of Neil Brown's game management skills. Because <laughs> if you think that He's K-N-E-E-L Brown, and he has the two-point chart master and all that stuff. And, yeah, you think that he's like, you know what? Screw first and 10 from the 25. We can tackle him at the 22. We can tackle him at the 19. We can get three to six extra yards of field position. Okay. <laughs> um, I'm not sure that's the case. They just I don't know what their scheme is on kickoff because I haven't asked. And it hasn't been discussed. It's just not something that's come up in Zooms. I'm sure they have an idea what they want to do. I feel like that their kickoff return team is not very good, though. So do you really want them running down and trying to execute that plan? I don't know. Um, I just think that you don't want to kick the ball to Puka Williams because he showed you why. 
and I don't think that their team is great at running down and tackling right now. First game, they had an issue. They've had some penalties. They obviously, you know, with backups, but they gave up a break against Kansas. Um, I, I just don't think they could put it into the back of the end zone right now. And if I think they could, they would have had the kicker in place the entire time. As it is, they've used leg twice. And both times, including within the same game, Evan Staley's taken the job back, too. So maybe Staley isn't the answer, um, but he's unanswered right now. And, and I think it's just going to have to do for the time being. I think ideally you'd like to get some air under the ball, position it towards a corner and try to get the ball to drop somewhere in that around the five yard line and try to force them to make a decision of whether to fair catch it because you can fair catch it inside the 25 now or inside the 20 now. But or try to run it back. And I'm with you. I, I think that's the hope. That's the plan. But it just doesn't. One, coverage has not been great. And two, I don't think there's anybody that can do that consistently currently on the roster. So they're they're kind of rotating around trying to find the right answer. Yeah, it's um, again. And, and again, here's the thing, too. Like if they had problems with kicker, I'm guessing, because kickoff and certainly field goal. I don't know who they put in. It just feels like it's going to be leg or Staland, and just one of them has to take it. I don't know who it is. I think the question about Tyler Sumter now is very interesting. If he's not going to be your full-time punter, and he's going to punt once, maybe twice the game for like pooch purposes, could he get refs kicker now? He was Neil Brown's punt, uh, kick field goal kicker at Troy. I don't see why not. I don't Something see why not. Um, Moving on to the offense, where we all want to be. Let's start with the offensive line. We got a lot of questions there, a lot of them. I'm uh, going to kind of just pick a, a couple of them, but just in general, we're discussing the offensive line here. Lighten asked, "I thought pass protection was fine after the first couple series. Am I wrong?" And we got uh, Dub B got M. We got crushed the O O line and running game last year. This year, it's better. But who is more improved, the O line or the backs? Which one of those two you want to take? Is Matt Moore doing a good job? Wow, Joe, we just jump right there, huh? Just jump right to it. Seriously, like, I mean, if 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 you looked at these numbers right now and said, "All right, it's better than last year," man, they're really running the ball, and you realize that they've had so much volatility with the personnel on top of it being young. I, I kind of feel like you almost have to tip your cap to him a little bit. I almost feel like his hands are tied that he probably isn't. Never mind at the level he wants to be at right now. He's probably not even near it just because he hasn't been able to have the same five in practice. Never mind in a game for from one week to the next. So think about that. They didn't have starters for the first game. Jumble for the second game to make some changes. Everything blew up the night before or the day before the third game and then made more changes this game. He didn't have a committer. Um, is no longer the starting left tackle. You got to do something with Frazier. He's come along pretty quickly. You don't have Bryson Mays for who knows how long. I mean, there's a lot going on right there, too. So um, my answer then is that while the answer is running backs, for sure, it's because the offensive line is bad. I think the offensive line just hasn't had a fair shake yet. And I think all things considered, especially within that game Saturday, Matt Moore's probably checked a lot of boxes this year as far as Neil Brown is concerned, right? Um, so my answer is definitely running backs. Uh, Brown is just much better. He's more patient, and he confidence is such a dumb word sometimes, right? Yeah. But I can't watch him play and think that this isn't a guy who's confident. Um, he he initiates contact because he thinks he's going to shake it off. He throws stiff arms because he thinks he's going to win it. He takes the speed around the corner because he thinks he's faster than that guy. That's really powerful stuff. And then Sinkfield's similar to the fact that he's out there and he can do it. He trusts himself, his speed, his body, just like Brown does. They're different players, but they have the same level of confidence right now. No doubt supported by results so my answer is running backs but i would say it's not because the offensive line has been bad or that it hasn't improved i just think that the offensive line is probably made relative to the circumstances adequate progress so that was that was far too nuanced and intelligent of an answer mike so i'm, I'm gonna flip it back a little <laughs> bit i'm gonna i'm gonna pull it back a little bit and ask you you you, you started it off with has matt moore done a good job has any O-line coach done a good job at West Virginia since Ron Crook? I, I think we're seeing a- it right now. I think we're seeing it right now. Um, the, the answer is no, because it was only 
Joe Wickline, right? Right. And his recruiting misadventures, including some guys who were still on this roster, and and just the fact that it that I don't think that the offensive line got pushed a whole lot, and I don't think that the competition was there for guys to worry about their jobs. That's just what people have told me, and, and what I've seen. Um, and yet, Wickline for a period of time was on a short list of the best offensive line coaches in the country. Yeah. That's not a joke. That's true. I do think that Moore is doing a good job. Last year, again, if you want to give Neil Brown year zero, and I don't, but if you want to give him that, you also have to give that to a number of the coaches. And listen, he he did have a pro left tackle and a fifth-year senior right tackle. He did not have much else, and you need much else to be effective, and especially to do the things you want to do. I, I do think you're seeing progress this year. And again, the way that they looked at a, they prepared for an odd front, they looked at an even front, you know, they got their quarterback knocked silly a few times and then pretty much protected him the rest of the game. They're not dumb. They're confident. They have a plan. They have an adjustment. They're okay over there, I think. And I think we're seeing slowly but surely here more of who and what we thought at the beginning of the season. Remember, I think a lot of people thought Brandon Yates was going to start. He just didn't because I don't think he played enough. My argument that was given to me for, for starting him by somebody was that He's already there with Yuzebu, and he's going to grow with the playing time on the field much faster than Yuzebu. As it is, Yuzebu hasn't played the last two games, so they really like Yates and what he's doing. Um, Frazier is here much sooner than they thought. Committer's committer. Mike Brown is Mike Brown's really good. Like I don't know if we had the, the same um, confidence in him a couple of weeks ago, but he's really good. And then you, you kind of have John Hughes, who has his moments in both directions, but Without Mays, it's him. And who else is going to be there? I don't know. So I think if you looked at the things at the beginning of the season, you thought it was going to be Yates, Gemitter, Barrett, Brown, Hughes, and find a way to get in Mays. Find a way to get in, I guess, Frazier. Find a way to you know do something with the tackles in depth and you say, it's, it's finding its way there. One way or the other, it's finding the way there. So you have a goal in mind. Sometimes because the goal doesn't hit right away, it doesn't mean you abandon the goal. You just keep going and keep plugging along. And I think that, you know, patience can sometimes delay progress, but sometimes patience can achieve progress too. All right. Now that, now that I, uh, I gave that crazy answer, let me pull back and, and give my real answer. I, I just wanted to mess with you a little bit there. Cause you're right. It, it, he hasn't Matt Moore, as you noted, got the two amazing tackles last year experienced veteran tackles, one in NFLer, and then had a complete mess on the interior. All new starters, all guys inexperienced, injuries, bouncing around, late, you know, late loss of Josh Sills and then his departure in the offseason. And then this year, um, every single have have they had one game yet where all five starters started and played the full game as expected? I, I it, you know, this obviously year? not game one what was it Oklahoma State? Baylor. Baylor, I believe, too, right? Yeah, so... You're right, I get your point. It's been a tough go for him, and he hasn't... I think he's done an admirable admirable job. And this game was... And and I was right there with, I think, everybody on the message board of what the heck is this offensive line doing to start against Kansas? Because it's like, when you think of Kansas right now this season, you are not thinking of a relentless pass rush and even a rush defense that gets into the backfield and makes plays. That is not something you think about. Um, and they were doing it. And it didn't hit me. I didn't see it. I admitted it after the game about them switching from a three-man to a four-man front. And the difference, as you noted, is it, striking. It's it, it, it's like a completely different game. And the offensive line and the coaches had to adjust on the fly to fix that, to change assignments, to get going – to, to know who to block and where to scheme and everything else. And once they were able to do that, once they had a couple drives to kind of figure that out, everything completely changed. The first quarter, when they were trying to adjust to that, six rushes for negative 16 yards and a 3.3-yard average for the entire quarter, for every single play. In the second quarter, 14 carries, 102, 5.8 average. Third quarter, 7 for 109 rushes, 11.9 average. 11 for 31, 5.8 total average. So they got it figured out. And I think that was a big problem. And we talked about this in the grades, and we've talked about this on the board. Some of those issues are on the running backs. Letty Brown and Alex Singfield were terrible. 
to borrow from Charles Barkley. Just <laughs> terrible in blitz pickup. Because on the blitz pick, you know, it's it's not just the offensive line. When you see a quarterback get to hit, it's not always the offensive line. Sometimes it's running back. Sometimes it's the quarterback. Sometimes it's even the receivers. Uh, I think what was it uh, against the Baylor game when Deggy got absolutely laid out by that cornerback blitz? Um, that's on Deggy, and that's on that wide receiver. One of them, and preferably both of them, need to be able to recognize that blitz, and neither of them did. And Deggy got destroyed for it. And there was one third down play where against Kansas where they had two blitzers come right up the middle. And when you are a running back and you have blitz pickup, your priority is inside out because the inside guys have the more direct line to the quarterback. And instead of picking up one of those two blitzers coming right up the middle, right in Deggie's face, Letty Brown went to the right all the way out to the edge and like helped on a defensive end that was already being blocked well. And Deggie got rushed through it. Boom. Had to, had to attempt a field goal that they then missed. So I don't want to put all the blame on the offensive line. And I thought the way that Matt Moore and and Matt Moore deserves a ton of this credit for that on the fly adjustments in the game. Uh, The way they adjusted after that, you know, complete curveball they got was impressive. Yep. Um, Baylor, everybody played every snap except Hughes. And he gave 24 to to Mays. Everybody played every snap except the last three on Saturday. Um, Hughes had been the guy that was getting swapped out for Mays. Did not have that luxury. Uh, had a penalty, but also was excellent in pass block. Um, his grade was uh, unusually high for anybody on the offensive line, never mind him or the West Virginia offensive line. But his pass block is really good. Run block, not great. But um, if you look at the run charts, they, they don't do a lot of running and a lot of damage to the right side either. Could be positive. Maybe that's why. Maybe it's because of Hughes. But maybe he's not getting a lot of chances up his grade because they're so good on the left side right now, too. Here's a good question. Gamitter presumably is back, let's say Saturday, but certainly before the end of the season. That was your best guy on the offensive line 15 days ago. I think. Do you put him back? I think you have to. We, we had this discussion two weeks ago where I said, Zach Frazier is one of your five best offensive linemen and got to figure out a way to get him out there. And I think they were experimenting with that. You know, we got uh, Neil Brown with a little slip of the tongue. Uh, that kind of, he didn't outright say it. He kind of outright said it. Uh, but we're assuming that they were sampling Chase Barrett at left tackle. Um, I don't know where you go because I think, you know, they're happy with Mike Brown. He's grading out as the, the best, according to Pro Football Focus, the best player on the offense so far this season mm-hmm. uh, outside of Jordan White, who's only played, you know, a handful of snaps and blowouts. But uh, so he's good. Uh, Chase Barrett, they seem happy with at center. I don't think they'd pull Frazier or pull him for Frazier. Uh, James Gamitter, as you noted, they thought was the best offensive lineman maybe on the team. And do you really want to pull Brandon Yates after, you know, two starts when he's starting to look better? Do you uh, think right? Barron was left tackle or right tackle? What do you think? We never really had this conversation. We meant to one day we never had it. My argument for left tackle was they knew that Uzebu wasn't going to play. They right. shifted things around and said that he had practiced that tackle. You caught Brown in the mousetrap, and he wanted to get out of that really fast. He <laughs> said that he had practiced a tackle. He doesn't like to give details away. I get that, but you caught him, and he didn't want to give you the answer, so he gave you an answer, and then you quickly got muted, so you yep. couldn't follow Very up. quickly. Um, yeah, so like they said that he was going to play tackle. I think left tackle because they knew Uzebu wasn't going to play and what are you going to do? You got to move somebody. If they're moving Barron to a tackle position, it's probably going to be left tackle. But if they're so concerned about right tackle and they like Yates so much, you give him back to back starts now, not even play Yusebu, was a right tackle. Because I think that you, you could look at that and say, yeah, but now I wonder. I mean, he's, he's definitely staying interior now. And I don't think they're going to make any change of tackle. It seems like it's going to be Yates, Hughes with. Yusebu and, and when he's back, Mays is the backup tackles. That's an issue this year is that they don't have a backup, a real backup tackle they can swing with. Like they don't have a guy who's a right guard and can play right tackle. They don't have a guy who's a, who can play left tackle and right tackle. And I just I, I don't like the idea of rotating a center. I hate that idea. I hate yeah. changing centers. Um and you know, how often do you want to take out Gamitter or Brown? for Zach Frazier, as well as Zach Frazier is playing. So I think it's 
I, I mean, these are decisions and, 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 and quote unquote problems you're hoping to have like in fall camp so you can adjust and, and, and figure some things out. Not one you want to make uh, in the middle of, was it five, five games and five Saturdays? So mm-hmm. I, I, I'm with you. I, I, think they're, I, I think they're about to, quote unquote, bench one of their five best offensive linemen in Zach Frazier because of that. Coming off a good game, too. Like yeah, he, he had his best game. For, I mean, the Eastern Kentucky game, whatever, but his numbers this morning is good against Oklahoma State and Baylor. And he, was, he, was, he was under control, and he was moving people, and he was, he was definitely a factor on that left side. They were, they were run, whenever West Virginia wanted to run, they were running to the left side behind a true freshman in Zach Frazier and a redshirt freshman in Brandon Yates. Mm-hmm. That's where they were running, to the left. Yeah, and, and they found Barrett success does a, Barrett does a good job of getting his guys spun out or at least pushed yeah. up so he can't come. Well, so the defender can't come left to right to shut down those run plays and left. Barron does a good job in the run game when he's hot. Well, all right, let's move on to the uh, to the receivers. Um, again, lots of questions there. Uh, I'm going to pick two that we'll kind of combine uh, from Kurt Hurley. Do we see more younger receivers getting playing time due to the in- due to the inconsistencies of Bryce Ford, Whedon, and Sam James? And from TDTB10. I understand the plan changes during the game, but if you're planning out snaps for the four wide receiver spots against Texas Tech, what is the personnel percentage breakdown? Mike? Let's hedge for a second. We don't know T.J. Simmons' availability. Right. If he took a shot out of the head and left the game. I'm not saying he had a concussion, but they were certainly worried about whatever happened during that shot to the head. He did not get benched because he dropped a pass and fumbled because – they don't bench people for that. So we're assuming that whatever led him off the field was because of that play. Um, and if it's a concussion, it, it's like COVID. Certain things have to happen before you can get on the field. And it's not just coach. I feel good. You got to pass certain checkpoints. So don't know. If he's good, I'm not changing a thing. You're not changing a thing. I am buying back my Bryce Ford Wheaton stock. I liked what I saw, I, and I just think that he's he's going to get better, and he's getting better. And I whatever whatever excuses or explanations are provided about oh he's young, he's not there yet, I'm I'm believing it because I watch. This sounds so simple, and it sounds apologetic, but you've got to get open, especially with this quarterback right now. And he gets open. I mean, he gets open a lot. I don't know if it's because he's big and he's twitchy, or he's fast, or he's strong, but guys can't check him, and and he runs decent routes where he gets open. And um, on that touchdown pass, if you watch that on the overhead, he accelerates. Like he pulls away from his guy. I don't know if he did that on purpose or if he saw the ball and went and got it, but he created distance to get open on that. He can run. He can play. I like it. Um, and he got fifty snaps. Not like he stayed in the field the whole time. So that's okay with me. Um, and then if you're down on Sam James, and I get it. You're starting to wonder, hey, what do we have here? Is this a guy who's going to get you at most 600, 700 yards receiving and is going to get you like 10 yards of catch and doesn't have pop to, you know, to break tackles and he's got to turn short stuff into long stuff or he's got to be wide open? Hey, that's a concern. I get it. I mean, right? He does not get open right now. When he does, it's quick and it's on him and he drops it. That's fair. So he played 37 snaps. Um, his backup was Ollie Jennings, played 34. Sam Brown played 23. So – if you're worried about his playing time and like a penalty for him being unreliable, it may already be happening. I don't like having him off the field. So that's okay with me. Now, do I want guys like Sean Ryan more? I do. Did I want that before Saturday? No. What made you think that? And as it stands, he got 42 snaps. So that's okay. And I think they can get inside guys involved more. Didn't see Simmons after that first drive. That was probably curtailed a little bit. They got right going at halftime. I said they went in the locker room and said, hey, can we throw the ball inside? We got number 16. He's really good. That worked out well. Um, Reese Smith played about two dozen snaps, more than I thought, and was noticeable on a couple of them. Um, I, I think the plan is probably already in motion. Could they put more into people? I guess, but those snap counts that I read you, significant. Those are major jumps from the week before where they only played seven receivers and the three backups played seven total. This is a totally different approach, and I'm not sure different results. So maybe if you adjust that a little bit, maybe it comes off a of James Ledger. But I kind of like having him out there. I don't know if he's a starter, if he's your focal point or whatever. Maybe you gotta you got to adjust what you ask him to do. Um, but 
do you want Jennings out there more? Do you want Sam Brown out there more? I kind of like my idea there. My, my, I kind of like what I know that I may have with James versus what I don't know that I don't have with Jennings and Brown. All right. I got lots of thoughts here, but let me start with let me start with my my counter to your comment there about the um, snaps being a big increase from the week before. Yes, correct. Mm-hmm. But I would love to see, and maybe I'll go back and watch the film um, and, and and count it myself. But uh, you mentioned uh, Reese Smith was like a two dozen snaps. How many of those two dozen snaps were before the fourth quarter for Reese Smith? Well, he only like played two one. drives, right? Yeah, I think he, I think it was literally just the last two drives, and I think yeah. that was kind of the case for Ollie Jennings and and a couple. Of, I think we saw Sean Ryan earlier, but that was likely because of T.J. Simmons being out. So I know the snaps are going to say, yeah, it was split, but I feel like it was we're riding the starters until you know it's twenty four ten, and okay, now we can bring in some of these backups. Yeah. <laughs> that was weird. Yeah. Well, um, I'll say that. Well, Jennings was definitely in the first half because when when James dropped the ball in the end zone, mm-hmm. he trotted off the field and and Jennings was in. And Jennings had been targeted earlier. Brown yeah. played. Sam Brown played early ish in the second half. Ryan played. Uh, Esdale played in the first half and didn't play much. I think he got in not long after. Actually, I think he. What was he inside or out? I can't remember. But uh-huh. I know I saw him not long after uh, Simmons is out because I continue to confuse him and and Jennings on television. So I know I saw him. And yes, James popped up on film because um, he has a target, a catch, and then a catch and run late in the game. You're thinking, all right, well, just the final three drives, this game is over. One, they, they act like a 14-point lead was insurmountable, which is the height of audacity and also confidence. And ultimately correct. But their final couple of drives right, were four, nine, and three plays. So you're only talking 16 snaps. Three were handoffs that I'm not sure that they were just to get a very sparrow in. But, right. um, you know, he came in and, and he played in a four-play drive and had two plays. I think they punted. And then he played in another that was like nine plays. So, again, at most 13 snaps. So, yeah, if he played if he played just the, the garbage time, he still got eight, nine other snaps during the course of the game. Which, Can I? Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. I'd like to go on a Sparrow tangent here for a second because one, he didn't play earlier this year and somebody asked him on, on a, uh, Neil Brown on a zoom call about that said, you know, I, where's Sparrow? Are we going to see Sparrow or something, something about Sparrow. And it had been, I think it was after the Eastern Kentucky game and it was Letty Brown, Alex Singfield, Tony Mathis, Lorenzo door as the fourth string running back. And when Neil Brown was asked about a very Sparrow, Brown said very bluntly that Door was the four-string running back. Door was ahead of him. And so apparently in the last month, Sparrow has jumped Door and Mathis. I mean, it seems somewhat notable to me. I mean, I, I, I think we heard good things about him in fall camp. I mean, how, I don't know how much we can believe of coach speak there, um, but – that seems notable, I guess, for future reference. Not really, maybe notable this season, but but for the future. Nah, nah, nah. If if Letty gets sick and he shares a juice box at Alex Singfield, and they both got to sit out a game, they're gonna start Mathis, and they're probably gonna play Door. I think they like him enough. Um, and then, yeah, if you got to use Sparrow, you can. But I think that I think Mathis would certainly start. That's probably one of those situations where, I don't know, maybe he practiced really hard. Maybe he, you know, was yeah. early in the meetings. But you're talking three plays. Okay, let's see what you can do. Let's keep you on the line. Door can do without that. He's been around. He knows the score. Uh, he's had he's he's had that that token play time before, too. Uh, hey, throw the kid a bone and see what happens. And know, first run looked pretty good. Yeah. I don't want to make too much out he's of it. Active. But like, yeah, it was active good. Piece. There's nothing wrong. He's He's got some sink field to him for sure. Um, one more thing on the receivers before we go. There was uh, specifically Sam James. There was a, a smart man I once knew, Mike, uh, that, that was talking basketball with me, and he said, you know, I want to put some of these guys out there early and just have them throw up some shots, <laughs> see who's hot, and then keep that guy in. Um, real smart guy. Real smart guy. Mm-hmm. Handsome, do you do, too. <laughs> do you do that with Sam James? Like, Where's the top it, knot every now and then? Yeah, it's a manly top knot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just as somebody noted on the board, just get him in the most wide open space possible. So there is literally no chance of some defender hitting him within a second of him, the ball getting to his hands so that he can catch it. 
and let him make a play and see what happens and kind of go from there. Because I, I feel like it's in his head now. I mean, they're according to Pro Football Focus, they are completing just over 50% of the passes that are thrown his way. 50%. That's bad. And he's, he's got, got four drops. drops. I feel like it's four. more than that. Uh, and two two picks that were thrown his way. You know, you know Daggy's been picked off twice when throwing to him. So it, it's he has the lowest rating, uh, quarterback rating when thrown to on the entire team. So I, I think you. But we've seen him be great. So I think you need to find a way to just get in the ball in open field, let him try to make a play, and see where it goes from there. And if and if it's not there, it ain't there. But he's your right side receiver, so he's going to be there. I mean, your right-handed quarterbacks are going to see right middle all the time, and he's going to be the guy that is looked at a lot. Um, the other team knows that, too. And look, there's film. You, you can shut him down. That that tape from Rodarius Williams in Oklahoma State going four for four with four batted down passes when the ball was thrown at him and James, that's that's going to get circled. That's going to get played a lot. How can you cover him? Hey, you can cover him. Um, you would agree he was good against Baylor, right? Yeah. I think he's, he was above average, yes. Who caught the first pass of that game? Sam James. Who caught two passes on that opening drive? Sam James. Who did they go to on fourth and six on that opening drive? Sam James. When was his first catch Saturday? Uh, after his second drop. Is that, is that rude? Sorry. That was you get rude. my point here, right? You get yeah. my point here, right? I think, like again, the, the idea by that extremely wise person who seems to age in reverse uh-huh. uh, is apt. It applies to different sports. Um, listen, uh, Tampa Bay Rays are going to the World Series, and they start a closer sometimes. Yeah. Um, so you get your best stuff going early on. Uh, James' first catch, by the way, if you want to, if you believe in omens and things like this, was his touchdown late in the game. You want to talk about restorative play calling? Yeah. That's it right there. Six targets, one catch, but it's an eight-yard touchdown. He chops off the field thinking like, yeah, man, I got a touchdown. I'm going places now. So uh, I would circle that, too. His first catch came five seconds in the first play of the fourth quarter. Um, and that was it. He'd been targeted five times and nothing before that. And getting feeling good. Hey, watch this play. He runs a really cool route. He's walking around campus. Hey, man, cool route. Great touchdown. All right, cool. And things are back to normal again, too. Um, listen, get him started early. I get that. Definitely get him off the field with some confidence, and they did that too, at least. All right, let's wrap. Let's wrap this Q and A up with it, it's it's kind of a big picture question about the offense, and it comes from Boppy Lounger. What are the top strengths of this offense, and what should it be focusing on doing? After the Kansas game, there were some specific things that really stood out as quote these things work end quote. But some of that could be the opponent, while some of it could be WVU is just better at certain things. I'm not sure that I'm not sure they have a thing that they can line up and do against everybody. I mean, outside zone or split zone. Okay, that's a staple. But like, are we talking a personnel package, uh, a scheme, a gimmick, an idea? I don't know, especially in the passing game. Like, yeah, run mesh. Well, that's what they do. So I get that. So the staples are there. I think probably more more to, more to this question. Um, unless this guy's saying, hey, are we a power running team? Are we an air raid team? Are we a 50 50 team? Are we an RPO team? I don't know. Um, so let's let's work in reverse. The vertical passing game is not there. No. And they've done a lot of really good stuff in the middle of the field before Oklahoma State. And then, you know, short outside, out of the backfield stuff, especially the past two games. So I do think quick let-it-rip passes are good. And I'm not bailing on Daigie as an RPO guy. I do think play action has to come around because it just gives you opportunities, especially when you're running the ball as well. It's not there. So vertical stuff and things that take time, whether it's play action or going deep, is just not there. I don't know if he doesn't have the arm, if he doesn't have the ability to see it or anticipate it. I don't know if he doesn't have the pass blocking. It could be and likely is a little bit of each. So I do think that running their zone stuff, whether it's like stretching outside or a split zone inside where you know, split zone can go anywhere. It just depends on the running back's eyes. And Brown is really good at seeing the first cut and going and you probably don't want Sinkfield dancing around too much. You'd like to see him dance and go or just play and go, not dance and go. Um, so, again, that stuff's good. I think they're much better with the tight end of the field. So, if you're talking 10 personnel, that's good sometimes. But I think they're better in, like, 11 personnel. Four wides, do they have four wides right now? Probably. Again, depends on Simmons, I guess. They can do it. You just have one fewer blocker to block, and we've seen what the running backs can and can't do in pass pro. 
they they can do so many more things that tied into the game though we're seeing again we're seeing split zone stuff we're seeing cool rpo stuff they can move the pocket um their screen game is better with the tight end of the game just the gadgets and the things you can run off of stuff with the tight end of the game including that james touchdown you just do a lot more so i kind of like the idea of them less as an empty set for sure and less is four wide and more of one tight end. And we even saw Flash as a two tight end. I don't know if it was to put on film or if it's just because that's who they had left that they hadn't played and they wanted to get out of town. But we saw two tight ends for the first time all year, really, and it was effective. So if you're asking me what do they do well, I don't think that there's some explosive, explosive, splashy, potent offense. I think they're a little bit more methodical, but I think that there's a way that you can move the ball down the field and – Man, they're really good in the red zone now, too. How about that? Starters are 17 mm-hmm. for 17, and they seem like they have a plan again, too. So um, what they're doing isn't bad, and I think that when you look at what works good, it's it's kind of modest stuff. It's not shoot the moon, let's get a touchdown in three plays. It's, all right, let's use our personnel, and let's use our plan, and let's stick with it. And that's that's isn't that their thing in everything they do? Trust the process. Trust the climb. I, I think that's probably what they're going to funnel it back to a little bit is they know what they're good at, Let's get away with what we're not good at. And listen, if we got to be a 12-play touchdown drive, all right, we better be good at it then. Yeah, I think I, I liked your comment about the 11 personnel. I like it. I'm trying to figure out how you would set it up with – because I believe if you if you had to go with three wide receivers right now, I'd try to go with Wright, Simmons, and Ford Wheaton. But if you go two inside receivers in the tight end, you're, you're, you're getting a little too crowded on the inside there. So I'd have to go back to the drawing board on that one. And if you ask me to, if I had to pick a scheme, quote unquote scheme, a, a general scheme, like you were noting about the you know, power run game, all that stuff, I think I'm leaning towards RPO. I, I think, you know, you know, cause the run game's good. The strengths on the passing game is the, the quick hitters over the middle, which, which lends itself to RPO. And if you're having trouble blocking, uh, you know, the quick passes obviously help as well. So I'd lean towards that. Um, um, I, I did find it interesting when we're talking about what do what did they do well, and two weeks ago when they played Baylor, and that first that scripted plays the scripted plays that they had and moved right down the field scored, um, and then they went back to it after they stumbled and 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 ran some of those plays again. I feel like the play like the script this week, which yeah you got to mix it up because otherwise they'll just watch the last game's film. It, it, it'll it felt very different for me than yeah it was it was the rex grossman offense yeah <laughs> like I, I screw mean, it we're going deep yeah I, I mean i know like yeah neil brown said he was going to try to get the ball deep and uh, he was right uh but that script was way different than the, the previous week and i get that you want to try to get some downfield passing you need it it, it has to happen i think if you want to truly have a, a, a full offense and alleviate some pressure elsewhere. But uh, the, if I'm scripting, I'm scripting the plays that that I know will work. And I think that that script for Baylor worked, and I'd, I'd evolve around that that scheme. Agree, Ken. I, I was again. I think you're right there in that if if you and I who don't make hundreds of thousands of dollars for some reason, <laughs> if we can if we can see that, certainly Kansas's coaching staff is going to say, all right. This is what they went to early. They went back to it when they had to get their quarterback on track. Let's work against this early on. And by the way, let's screw them up and go even front. Like, like they, they definitely started the drink to start the game, which is what they had to do. That's good coaching by them. And, but again, West Virginia got its breath and got the whiteboard out. It was it was pretty easy. I want to say easy, but like it, it wasn't nearly as hard as the first court looked like. No, I think. Did you see my posts on the board about? Um, you know, I usually do the plays that change the game thing mm-hmm. i did it after the baylor but you, you really can't do it when it's a blowout <clears throat> um even when west virginia was down 10 nothing and kansas had the ball you know west virginia just punted it back kansas had the ball up 10 nothing the win probability index still said west virginia was an 80 percent chance to win. <laughs> <laughs> like that like so, hey, I didn't write that story this week, everybody. You're not going to find it. I'm not going to write that, that, you know, it changed from 80% to 99% and then just hovered around there for the rest of the game. But um, I think that's telling of, of 
uh, again, the opponent and, and what West Virginia was facing on Saturday. Let me, let me ask this. This is my question. I got this mm-hmm. on the, the whip around in the pregame with uh, uh-huh. the radio. Um, it, it was more of an if or when, but well, I guess how would be the question. How does Kansas matter in the Big 12? Because I have, I have two theories in this. One is that you hire a name who hires a staff and you just recruit like crazy for a period of years and you get this going. Les Miles is half of that. He's the name. He does not have a staff, I don't think. And he's not going to be there very long. He's just not. There's no way you can look at this and say this guy's going to be here for seven years. The other is that, um, here's a saying, Chris. Do you, you know, like when lions chase zebras in the wild, mm-hmm. the zebras run in zigzags because it's harder to catch them when they're running in different directions. Yeah. If you're the prey, you got to zig and zag because the hunters are going to get you. So, Kansas is certainly the prey in this conference. They got a zig and zag. And I wonder if and when they hire someone who is just completely bizarre on, on offense and does something that you're not going to see. And it's going to be a pain in the neck to play them. And it's going to ruin, it's going to be a miserable week of practice. And you're not going to look forward to the schedule. And listen, because you run triple option or because you run some hybrid, you know, spread option out of the shotgun, you don't need the top talent. You can just get guys who are fast and who can block and who can make reasonable throws, whatever, but it makes recruiting a little bit easier too. And then all of a sudden you got a cool offense that's hanging up 38, 42 points a game and, and is winning a little bit more. And it just kind of snowballs there. I, I feel like the only way that right now they're going to be good is that they do something that's totally exotic and is going to win them games just on preparation. You're going to win games on Saturday because teams are not going to have any fun Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. The most realistic option for them is to go the Kansas State route because Kansas State relies on in-state talent and junior college players from Kansas. Kansas has an entire, you know, an entire junior college conference in that state. And big think, cities too, like Wichita yeah. and Topeka and like big cities. And, and for some reason they don't do that. I don't understand it. Uh, Kansas State does and Kansas State finds a way, a way to be relevant. Um, they're currently, you know, tied for first in the big 12. They've went over Oklahoma, so I would kind of follow their lead. Um, as soon as you started asking me this question, I said, what the heck did Kansas do so well and so different in 2007 when they went to the Orange Bowl? Because that's when you say Kansas football good, that is literally the only thing I can think of is 2007. I cannot think of another time. And I... They were just the spread offense, right? Like they, you know, Man, you're yeah. talking about zigging and zag- you're talking about zigging and zagging, but they just kind of zigged with everybody else. It averaged 43 points a game, throwing it all over the field, especially for you know the time 2007 was was some spread offense uh, around, not quite what it is today. But you know, Todd Reesing just throwing, slinging it around the guys, a couple different fast paced offense. I, it's weird to me that they. They didn't zag. They just zigged with the rest of the league, and it worked. Or, or maybe, they hired maybe Ed at Warner. That time it, oh, sorry. They hired Ed Warner as offensive coordinator. He was he was pretty good. I mean, they was he was the offensive line coach at Illinois, I believe. And they, they weren't they weren't very good. That was the end of the Zook era, maybe. Um, but they were just a good running team that year too. I know they had Reesing and then Briscoe, I believe, was there, and Kerry Meyer. Trying to think, gosh, that was a long time ago. They were explosive. But they ran the ball pretty well too. They were, they were just tough. And then again, would have been that would have been your national championship. You were probably looking at West Virginia against Kansas, <laughs> if not for, if not for that one day in December that no one wants to talk about. Yeah. Well, uh, let's just let's end it on that note, Mike. Thanks, man. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, all right well that's chris telling me to to cut and roll here so um we'll be back later on this week plenty to go on um neil brown big 12 conference call today we'll catch matt wells too to see what he thinks about his new quarterback plenty of going stuff going on this week a couple screen chairs about offense and even defense here some third down stuff like i mentioned and then we'll get into our texas tech prep podcast back here on friday game on saturday 5 30 chris very odd time don't like that at all no 
but no, no, no. got to make room for the TV now that the Big 12 is sharing the stage with uh, Big 10, eventually Pac-12. It's going to be crowded, going to be crazy here, too. Uh, what are the best bets coming out? I want to clear my, my bank ledger. <laughs> you got to get Just in. Just a bloodbath again this week. I really hope everybody, that everybody, everybody is fading all my picks all the time. And, you know, everybody joked about doing it last year, and then they said they were going to do it this year. I hope you actually did. I really hope you actually did. Because this was this was a tough one this again this week. I think I was feeling pretty good. I had the two lane, got a little cocky and and teased it or parlayed it with the under and screwed myself. I had Georgia beating Alabama. Uh, I'm not gonna lie. I, I went to bed early. Um, it was halftime. They're up 24-20. I was feeling pretty good. Uh, that did not last when I woke up. And what was the other? One? Oh, the Boston College one just infuriated me. Uh, I think I had them plus 11 and a half against Virginia Tech. And they were practically even in yardage, but Boston College turned it over four times inside the 30-yard line. Four times inside the 30. <laughs> so that was not great. Not great at all. It was a good tease day for some stuff. But, yeah, just, again, you look at these and you have just three games or five games sometimes. You say, which one of these things is going to screw me? And I always pick the wrong one. I never take the right one off the tickets. It's unbelievable every time, too. Uh, one more on, on 2007. Kansas. If you want to know why that offense is really good, go back and look at it and check out Kerry Meyer. I mentioned him as as receiver, but I forgot how cool he was. Um, he was twenty five for twenty nine as a quarterback, two hundred seventy five yards, three touchdowns. He ran fifteen times for seventy eight yards. He caught twenty six passes for two hundred seventy four yards. And I believe he was in the return game too. I don't have those numbers in front of me, but he was just a good, fun player. They moved around um, and made their offense diverse and unique. And, and again, they were. They were dynamic on offense, and you're right, have never been the same since then. So I guess the idea here is just go get Mangino. And hey, that's a good idea. I think he's available. Yeah, probably. All right, well, that is all for this time. We will see you next time. Until then, I am Mike Casazza. And I'm Chris Anderson. We'll talk to you later.